8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. So the, uh, we'll have a podcast up of that discussion with uh, Poppy Koza, our big hitter, the CEO of the Civil Aviation Authority, up tomorrow morning, I would think around 9, maybe slightly later, because the guy who does our podcasting is has been away for a couple of days, but we'll certainly check up on it. But that, isn't she inspiring? I mean, seriously. And, and I think the point made by Mike in the first instance and others that years are effectively a state-owned enterprise of sorts, and... It's, it's, it's been stellar in the last few years. And, and the key thing is it's, it's in such a space. And I talked to you today at a time when, you know, Prasar's had his problems or uh, with, with the president of all people uh, traveling, Mabapani, and going up and down and, and finding that that train that should have taken him 45 minutes took four hours because it was stuck. I mean, it's a, it's a huge issue. I've already made the point that if it's a metaphor for, for a failing state, that train being stuck and slow off the ground is a huge problem. But here's an example, certainly from the Civil Aviation Authority, of someone who's completely committed to getting things right, and it inspires all the people around us. So look out for that podcast. I think in many ways, just her own story is a masterclass in terms of leadership. Right. Okay, let's move on then to other things uh, that, are, that are particularly important, and that's the election. An election coming up very, very soon, May the 8th. I think you well everybody knows that, but but here's the thought around that. I mean, not so much who's going to win. Although I noticed, by the way, there's a new political party that just been formed. It's called the the um, the Capitalist Party. So that's interesting. What's taken them that long? We've had the Communist Party, we've had others, and and some forms of worker parties or socialist parties. So here's one upfront called the Capitalist Party. Um, something for you to just keep in mind whether that would work. But having said that, let's talk about. The election list. Now, you know that the ANC in particular uh, that released the election list last week, a huge row about it because there's been question marks about important cabinet ministers. There's been question marks about people lower down. There's been a whole lot of things around them in particular. The same could apply to other political parties, but in particular with regards to them, there's been a problem. So it asks, it begs the question, you know, uh, who can stand uh, on an election list for one of the political parties and who can't stand. And you tell me what you make of that. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts. So eight nine one one zero four two seven. One is the letter of the law in terms of the law, who can stand and who can't. But then in terms of what is morally and ethically right anyway, do you have an opinion on this? Does it bother you at all who may stand or who may not stand in terms of politics? Or, or do you find it is... And does it change your opinion? If there are people that you feel should not be on an election list and they're there anyway, even though they're not breaking the law, does that change your position in terms of what you feel about it right now to doing something else? Okay, my guest is um, in Corsi Kulule. Uh, he was a political policy analyst and co-chairperson of the elections uh, for 2019, the National Coordinating Forum. Uh, in Kosi Kululik, thanks for your time. Good chatting to you. Good evening. Good evening, Asaf. Thank you. So l- let's get this right first. I mean, in, in terms of what you do, are, are there people going into an election uh, that stands on... Uh, certain election lists of political parties, can they be precluded for any reason? This is, of course, before the election. Can they be precluded? And and what are the reasons that they can be precluded? Yes, uh, the law states clearly that there is a category of persons who uh, 
are, not, are ineligible to stand for elections. Civil servants, unrehabilitated sol- uh, insolvents, people who are mentally retarded, or most importantly, those who have been convicted in, uh, in, uh, of an offence and sentenced to more than 12 years uh, imprisonment, I mean, with, to more than 12 months imprisonment without an option of a, of a fine. So it makes it categorically uh, that uh, that category uh, is not supposed to be standing for election. Okay, so now in the light of, of you know, I mean, we have so many political parties. Naturally, biggest attention will go to the ruling party. They also the, the dominant party, the party with the most seats in parliament. And in terms of their election this last week, uh, you, you've obviously heard of many of many people disappointed with that ANC election list in terms of the people on that list. In your understanding, is there anything that precluded the ANC from putting on that, putting those people on the list, or what? Yes, it is a gamble because South Africans are now. Uh, objecting uh, to the inclusion of individuals who are implicated in allegations of state capture, who are accused of uh, wrongdoing uh, uh, and corruption. You see, this is what makes this election a bit more different because the, the, the law in South Africa gives the power to political parties to compile the list. Of uh, candidates will end up being public representatives. So, in, because in the national and provincial legislatures, you you can only get there if you are a member of a political party. And so, to the extent that uh, the political party machinery has got an upper hand in terms of who becomes a, a candidate, there seems to be a, a constrained space for those who, for the ordinary voters who are not necessarily political party members, who are not necessarily delegates who attend these conferences and meetings that compile the list, uh, for them to object uh, to the names uh, that they see on the list. And so this time around, the situation calls for responsiveness by political parties to the objections that are raised by members of the public. And you mentioned they're taking a risk, right? What, What sort of risk are they taking? You see, a number of people who who are on the list that the public is objecting to, a number of those individuals are very influential. So the party has to weigh up in this gambling uh, exercise. That so-and-so is so powerful, they may attract a a lot of votes, and that will ensure that we get a a lot more seats in parliament, as opposed to excluding them, and we may alienate some of the people, and so end up not getting sufficient or as many a number of seats in Parliament. So it is a weighing up exercise to the extent that the individuals involved are very powerful for the purpose of attracting the seats. So it calls for uh, the issue of morality. It calls for the issue to say, if we are calling for a clean government, for good governance, what is it that is expected, the bar that the public sets, uh, expected from political parties in terms of a decision to include or not to include individuals who are implicated in acts of corruption, considering that they have not yet been charged Mm. formally in a court of law and therefore they have not yet been uh, given opportunity to answer for themselves and to, to, uh, or there's no conviction next to their name. But to the extent that elections is um, an emotional connection between the candidates and the parties or the individuals who are standing for office, that emotional connection uh, tends to be to to uh, 
to put political parties in jeopardy in terms of voters choosing for a, a, a different party if they do not the political parties do not take into account the objections of the objections of the members of the public so so that point the fact that they're not convicted does that according to you from the national coordinating forum does that does that bother you and, and it may it may bother other individuals but does it bother you from an organizational point of view well it does bother us uh, on at both at two levels mainly the, the the main one which is institutional suggests that South Africa after so many years is democracy since 1994 we perhaps need to look at the amendment of electoral laws to ensure that those who are not political party members in other words independent candidates are also given space and opportunity to contest elections including at provincial and national level which then this means that in an event that uh, the, 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 the voters find that they are so much against the decision of a political party to include so-and-so and include so-and-so, the choice is, is still available for them to elect those uh, individuals who will be independent candidates who have a clean record and that they can relate to. As things stand now, because the, the power and the decision-making uh, powers are given to political parties, we do not have enough grounds to, 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 to cater for that. But also, does it bother us? It, uh, it does actually talk to the democracy at play because political parties are not doing anything criminal by including these members on their list. But it does say that there is a likelihood that there will be a category of voters who will not vote for a particular party just because of the decision to include so-and-so and so-and-so that uh, that voter is against. Or they may be also other voters who do not go to vote at all because they may not find any party that appeals to them, more so being uh, pushed away by a decision of the, of the party that they favored, the decision that they took, the party took to include people that they are objecting to. Okay, I welcome your thoughts. You can join in on the conversation as we as we talk about the election. Listen, whether uh, those lists are problematic in terms of the morality. And I'm not just talking about one party. There could be many others of people we may not even be familiar with, right? What do you make of it as a listener, as a voter? Does that bother you when certain individuals uh, are on the list of a party that you would actually vote for? They have not been convicted. Let's get that right. They, if they, my understanding is, uh, if they've been convicted of a crime and and uh, and you know, in terms of that conviction is a sentence of a year, they're automatically discarded anyway. So that's a different debate. But in this case, not been convicted, but could well be convicted down the line, maybe six months, maybe a year. Does that change how you feel about that political party? Will it change your opinion of them completely, or does it make absolute sense to say, well, how dare you, in fact, nail somebody? before they're convicted, because that is prejudging them. So would the parties not then be following a very, very prudent line of saying, we will put them on the list, you say they're guilty of something, we don't, we don't know, we're going to test it. If they are found guilty, we'll remove them from the list down the line. So even once they're elected, they could be removed from parliament, and there's nothing wrong with that. To remove them now is preempting and therefore prejudging them. It's an interesting ethical point of view, and I wonder whether that changes your opinion as a voter with a political party that follows Whichever line, which is either removing them up front or that means nailing them effectively up front or allowing them to stay their course until they get convicted 
if anything, later, and once they do get convicted, then they would naturally be removed, not just by the political party, but I think in terms of the parliamentary rules anyway. KGM from Kimberley, you got a thought? Go ahead, hi. Good evening, Ashraf. Good evening to your guest and to the listeners. Good evening, indeed. Ashraf, give me, give me three valuable minutes to, to digest or dissect into, into three different things about our system. Okay, I'm listening. Holistically, this system, we, we bought into it thinking and believing after being convinced that we know what we're buying into. And the truth of the matter is we didn't. The first, the, the first thing is this, Ashraf. Um, the system is based on selling hope. Now, hope gives you a lot of perceived things. Now, our politicians, our leaders, have what I term perceived political power. They even think themselves that they, they've got political power, but they don't even have it because they, they, don't, they are not in a position to even make uh, key political decisions without thinking of how that or those decisions are going to affect that, the bigger global political spectrum. Now, as you hear a lot of us talking, we say we, we are afraid of what the world will say. We, we are not worried about leading the world. If we, in other words, Ashraf, if we were to invent a, a system that adds value to the current political structures of the world, we, we don't see ourselves as being capable of doing that, but we'd rather follow. So we are actually followers as opposed to leaders. The second thing is, conjurally, we, 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 we are oblivious of the fact that politics are directly linked and intertwined with economy. Now, the, the, the economic system that we, we use, it's apparently called capitalism. Now, we, some of the political parties we have, we know that they are of socialist nature, and, and some, as we call, they call themselves Democrats, they, they are oblivious of the fact that you cannot join these systems and get good results. Mm-hmm. In other words, you, when, when you take a political system and, and you, you sort of try to merge it with a system that is contradictory, like our, our traditional systems of governance, for instance, you're obviously not going to get the results because each one of them have to come up with an independent, outright leader, or, I mean, winning formula. Now, we are having all of these things together in what is the, my last point, in what is called the Constitution. We say the Constitution is the supreme law of the country, but even, even though we say that, we have a lot of cases where the Constitutional Court has ruled in a certain way, but the Constitution, being the supreme of the law, did not force or get enforced so as to show that indeed the constitutional mandate would always be a supreme law. As an example, we had where a situation where the ANC caucus in Parliament uh, flouted the Constitution, but we had found a way, we, we had the ANC and others finding a way of justifying that the Constitution, uh, through the Constitutional Court, can actually be ignored. 
and we still have to accept okay. it to be there. Lots, so lots you've said. Let, let's get a response. Thanks for that call, KGM. So important points, and I will get my guests to comment on that. You can also join in on this conversation and tell me what you make of this. This is it. Does it present an ethical, moral issue for you when political parties put? On their list, people who could well be convicted of, of a series of crimes. It could be, you know, crimes of violence, uh, gender, gender-based violence. It could be corruption. It could be something, you know, I wouldn't say worse. We might just say what's worse, but it could be all that type of thing. It could be just outright uh, crookery, thieving, fraud, uh, and so on and so on. Okay, does it bother you if they haven't been convicted, but there's been an accusation against that person, or they may well have appeared in court but not yet convicted? Okay, so there still needs to be a case, a trial against that person. Does it bother you if, because of their popularity, the political party puts them on the election list for the 2019 election? Does it bother you or not? Does it change your opinion about whether you would vote for that party or not? I'll get your viewpoint in a moment. 8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Asraf Ghada. Get to more calls in a minute. Pumzila, stick around. I'll get to you just now. Uh, in Korsi Kulule uh, Niembezi is with me. He's a policy analyst, co-chairperson of uh, the Elections 2019 National Coordinating Forum. Uh, Korsi Kulule, you, you've heard that call from KGM raising some very important issues. You may want to pick out some of those thoughts and give your own opinion to that. Yes, I think that becomes the importance of elections to say once in every five years we need to have this opportunity as citizens to decide as to you retain the party in power or you choose a, a different option. Even in terms of the configurations, it's very interesting in South Africa we've got nine provinces. It may well be that in two or more of the provinces the ANC as the governing party may not have the control and thus uh, uh, kind of affect the political landscape uh, that we have. And then this issue also about uh, the, the conviction or not conviction, I think what becomes important, uh, the voice that is coming through in terms of the objections to these names, is that a number of the uh, of the people are implicated in acts of corruption. And the implication comes as a, as a way of seeing uh, that uh, maybe the Zondo Commission now, there is information that is given there under oath, or in some other platforms, so some people may have been implicated, and that process has led to their redeployment. You know that uh, the governing party uses a lot uh, of this uh, practice of uh, deploy, redeployment of people. So if somebody moves from this department to this department and the circumstances that led to that were the implication in acts of corruption or wrongdoing, then that is strong enough to drive the objections that the, the, the ordinary citizens have. And that is why there is the corresponding expectation that political parties must heed these objections. All right. And, and that point that uh, KGM brought up, that too often South Africans want to follow global norms as opposed to creating and setting our own precedents, our own standards. What do you make of that? Well, we have a unique democracy uh, that is South African brood in terms of our constitution, the choice of electoral system, uh, and also the the mix between a central and federal system in to the extent that we've got nine uh, provinces. And so the constitution talks about unity and diversity. So you had to acknowledge pluralism in terms of including traditional leaders, including the different religions, the different languages. There had to be something that is South Africa fit for purpose. 
And so to the extent that we, we're trying to work on that, I think it's a good thing for South Africa. And also because the Constitution speaks about providing building blocks to pave a way to a democracy that has got all these values that are listed in order for, for them to be, to be, to be upheld. So it's very aspirational. But the point now, like I said, that perhaps we may need to amend the electoral laws, talks to our lived experiences. Now that it's more than 20 years that we've had this system, electoral system, and uh, and procedures of running elections and making people qualify or disqualified for candidates, perhaps there is room to modify, to think differently about these things in a way that will fit the South African context. All right, let me get another caller. Pumzile is on the line from Humans. Pumzile, hello. The guest and uh, the South Africans at large. Thank you. Thank you for the good program. It's a battle of ideas indeed, Absolutely. Uh, Ashraf. Absolutely. Um, Ashraf, and uh, I want to appreciate the clarifications and inputs by your guest. But, uh, you know, Ashraf, the system we have currently is the best system ever. You will recall that our own government um, it assigned uh, Dr. Van Seilslap, but if you remember, and commissioned him, in fact, to investigate possibilities of coming up with another system. But uh, this one, as well uh, captured in the Constitution, seems to be the best. And uh, you will recall, Ashraf, those recommendations and uh, foundings, in fact, by uh, Dr. Slabat were never implemented, if I recall correctly. Your guest will correct me on that one. But over and above, what I wanted to say, the, the direct election of a president, for instance, we are not ready for that. The proportional representation system to me remains the best. But coming to the names on various lists, Ashraf, <clears throat> I think the opposition parties that are making most noise of this, you'll find your EFF, you'll find your Democratic Alliance, but as for the EFF, I think they are very much hypocritic because their own leader is caught in and caught out, has been charged. And uh, But there's no say from them that he must not be on their list. And so far as the ANC is concerned, uh, none of those names that are on the list have been officially or criminally charged. And if they were to be charged, definitely the ANC is the honest, and dignified organization with a good brand would have not allowed those names to be on that list. But as for the political opposition parties, they are just playing a political football game here, which they know for themselves, in fact, they are not going to win that, 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 that game itself, you know. But over and above, really, your program is very good. Keep it up. Thank well, you thank you. That's very, very kind of you. Thank you for those yeah. words. Let's get a response then from, uh, from our guest. Thanks, Pumzile. And uh, Kosi Kulule Niembezi is with me, of course, from the National Coordinating Forum for the 2019 elections. Uh, respond to that call? Yes, I do think that if we're to open space for independent candidates to contest at provincial and and national level, there are other positions in the legislature, for example, that uh, the the independent candidates can fulfill, like that of a speaker or deputy speaker. It's supposed to be a neutral presiding uh, role. There are different portfolio committees, like SCOPA and others, 
that un, that the the governing party is not supposed to be chairing. So there are some uh, roles that uh, independent candidates can can play. Not necessarily perhaps that of a president. And as the system matures, we can then have a, a direct election for the president. But I do think that really this time around we will see whether political parties are responsive or not to these objections by mem- ordinary members. And I do think it is going to show in terms of the support that en- they end up getting, whether some people switch votes or so some people switch their allegiance just because of the allegations and the objections that were not taken heed by political parties. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting thought. Let, let's then pick up, uh, you know, is there other aspects, as we're going to wrap up in a few minutes' time, um, you know, maybe examples from other countries where political parties have done similar things, uh, things that we can learn, not necessarily to emulate, but we can learn from them. Anything you'd like to share? Well, even the, South Af- the, 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 the situation here in South Africa, we have seen in local government elections where uh, when the parties imposed uh, the candidates from the head office as to who should be a councillor. We have seen uh, uh, people running as independent candidates because at local government level there is that space. We have seen people defecting to other parties or forming new parties. And also, just in terms of the cross-border municipalities, you take Matatiel, uh, you take Funani, you take Ide in Pumalanga, the civic association when uh, residents said we want to be on this part of the border in this province and not in this province, and then the national parliament decided otherwise, the local communities formed political parties like the ACT, and they went on to vote for those candidates, and uh, they went on to have a representation uh, in the legislature. So the point is this, South Africans have a history of switching their votes in the case where the, the, the party machinery is not speaking to their demands, to their needs, or the views that they've expressed openly. All right. Now, and the other part, you know, does it matter what we do in terms of how other countries perceive us? For example, if we have politicians that has a slur on their name, they're not convicted, but they have slurs in terms of their reputation. Does it have an impact in terms of South Africa's overall, you know, reputation abroad? Well, I, that is where I think the human rights culture should take precedence over political politics. The human rights culture says that what we are voting for, for example, the, 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 the political rights to vote, also speaks to the rights in total that are enlisted in the Constitution. So to the extent that human rights must be enjoyed, not in silos, but holistically. When we are talking about zero tolerance to, to, to corruption, zero tolerance to the abuse of state funds, we should be united as South Africans under the banner of promoting human rights. To an extent that it should not matter which political party at that point in time uh, is not heeding to the objections. The principle of defending democracy by rooting out corrupt individuals should apply across political lines such that somebody should not necessarily be married to a political party when they see that it is violating their principles. And I think in the end, that will produce good democracy. And I think one other thing that becomes important is that South Africans, all eligible voters, must go out and vote 
because it helps democracy when you have got a high voter turnout because it puts legitimacy. So nobody should be discouraged because their party is not doing what they like and therefore not go out to vote because that is going to harm democracy if we have got a low voter turnout. Yet, uh, I mean, one is a voter turnout, the other is just the example of, of let's take, I, I've used political figures, there are question marks about, around the, the ethical leadership of, of Donald Trump at the moment right throughout his reign as the president of the USA going into the reign and even while he's there right now. Has it made much of a difference in terms of how the world not perceives him, but but very importantly, how they deal with the USA? Yes, of course, it becomes those unintended consequences or maybe not unintended consequences that become casualties. When people of good moral standing, when people who are supposed to be defenders of democracy keep quiet, stand back, and say uh, we, we are disillusioned with the system, then the end result of an election, perhaps, and the administration that comes to power becomes uh, very toxic and does not take the country forward. And that is why there is this rallying call to say in the case of South Africans, it is commendable that there are these vocal uh, expressions of objections to the candidate list. It will also go into interrogating the promises that the political parties are making in their election manifestos. But the sum total of all that should be the one that brings everybody to the polls to make a choice. It doesn't matter which party it is. But the point being, if your traditional political party that you are supporting is going against your principles, you would need to give your vote to somebody else in the interest of ensuring that the democracy thrives. Well, there you are. Thanks for your time. There we are. In Koshi Kulule Niembezi, thanks for your time from the National Coordinating Forum for the Elections 2019. Important input there.